Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. To find out about the broadcast schedule of the Exxon Broadcast Network, which broadcasts 724-365 with our compliments and includes such shows as A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. Connecting with Coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman. We have Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka. Too Good to Be True with uh, Justina and Peter Marsh. And these are just a few of the shows that we have available for you. 724-365 at www.xzbn.net. Now to watch the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV, just go to www.simultv.com and in the search engine on the main page, just click in Exxon. It'll bring you to our channel where you can either sign up and watch the channel or you can actually just click on the guide to see what programming is on that day. It's that simple. And um, I must tell you that we are really thrilled at the results we're getting on Simul TV and as this is our 30th year of broadcasting this show on air, 
It just seems that we keep on growing. Now, also, before we get to our very special guest this hour, the X Chronicles newspaper is always available and always current and recent at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. My guest this hour is Michael W. Hall. He is a former Superior Court pro uh, judge, pro tem, certified uh, mediator, and the founding partner of the Hall Law Firm. Michael received his bachelor's degree in 1976 from the Edward R. Murrow College of Communications at Washington State University, and his, uh, you know, specializing in broadcast journalism, and a doctorate of jurisprudence in just two years from Southwestern Law School in Los Angeles. Now, with a lifelong interest in UFOs, or what we now call a, a UAPs, and uh, he he's became an investigator into the UFO phenomena, but I'm going to let Michael tell us more about that because he is also the founder and director of the UFOI team, uh, who are an experienced group of well, like, highly educated UFO paranormal investigators who travel to hot spots around the world to investigate UFOs, Bigfoot, ghosts, and other paranormal activity. Joining me now is Michael W. Holland. Michael, welcome to the X Zone. Oh, thank you, thank you so much, Rob. I am really excited to be here. Uh, I think you and I have quite a lot in common. Uh, literally, we were born in the same year, 1952, That's so right. yeah. <laughs> we can relate a little bit. We sure can. Uh, they were the good old days. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So so tell us a little bit about yourself, Michael. A little, and You've got a, uh, you know, an esteemed law career under your belt. You're, I believe you're retired, but you also represent an, a number of people within the UFO community, uh, including Grant Cameron, uh, P- Chief Petty Officer Kevin Day of the USS uh, Nimitz, and even Peter Davenport of the National UFO Reporting Center. Yeah, yeah, you got it. I, I go all the way back to... Uh, what was it? Uh, 1974. I was a field investigator for APRO. My goodness. Jim, Jim and Coral Lawrenson out right. of uh, Arizona when I was in college. And um, I've always been interested in the uh, paranormal and u- ufology. Mm-hmm. You know, I've people always ask you, did it stem from some major sighting that you had, you know, as a child or right. when you were younger? Uh, it didn't with me. It was just one of those things I was always interested in. I would see those old... Uh, paperback books, you know, about the UFOs and things, and I would always read them. Uh, but then when uh, I became a lawyer over 35 years ago, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of brought that into the field and uh, was doing pro bono work all the time for uh, various organizations like MUFON. I've been mm-hmm. a, you know, a MUFON uh, consultant since 1995. Uh, you mentioned Peter Davenport. Yeah. I was Peter Davenport's um, attorney of record for the National UFO Reporting Center for over 25 years, still am, um, and even uh, go back with uh, James Harder. I don't know if you remember Dr. James Harder. Sure um, the uh, ufologist uh, was the first guy to get a hold of Travis Walton after his 1975 uh, alien abduction experience and uh, uh, you know investigate that case as well. So um, it just kind of snowballs from there. People get to know you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they trust uh, what you do. And, of course, people always ask me, well, what, kind, what does a paranormal lawyer do? <laughs> uh, you know, and what do you uh, end up uh, representing people with? And basically it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, 
uh, general activity that uh, organizations and individuals run across in just doing legal work, like their uh, 501c3, you know, uh, nonprofit corporations, yeah. potentially, mm-hmm. um, you know, contracts and various uh, things that come up that they have to, you know, run by. And they, they like to have someone who has a little bit of a uh, sympathy to what they're going through you know, when they're doing all these other legal things as well. It's always better to have somebody who knows what you're talking about representing you than having somebody who knows nothing about what you're doing and who may at times find you a little strange. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you can kind of anticipate a little bit because mm-hmm. when when people come to a lawyer or any kind of a professional like yourself with a problem, um, it's always nice to be able to project ahead of, you know, what they're presenting you with, because uh, they're only coming to you uh, with a certain perspective of what they want to happen. And of course, you want to give them a well-rounded group of advice on this whole thing so they don't get into that mess again or, uh, you know, make things go smoother down the road. So I try to bring that uh, onto the table when when we're dealing with, uh, you know, other organizations and and investigations, especially, you know, when you're dealing with uh, uh, private property, when you're dealing with government organizations uh, and those kinds of things, you got to kind of keep a, an eye out for your client. That's right. That's right. And uh, it's once again, you need to have somebody on board who knows what you're doing and how the law applies to something that you may want to do and to have your best interest at heart. Yeah. No, you got it. Here's yeah. a, a great example for that, Rob, is that, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of people that like to go um, uh, ghost hunting and mm-hmm. investigating. Uh, and I always try to remind a lot of my uh, ghoster groups out there is that, you know, uh, if you're going on private property or property where you need to get some permission ahead of time yeah. uh, and or uh, you need to have a contract with the uh, property owner or potential people that are going to be involved in the investigation, you might want to have something in writing ahead of time just to make sure that you're not going to run into a problem halfway through your investigation that you didn't uh, anticipate at that time. So lots of different things pop up. So you, have you seen a UFO since you started being a UFO investigator? Oh, yeah. I, I I have. You know, matter of fact, you know, people would ask me, um, you know, what what's your experience mm-hmm. in, in sighting? You know, what's your experience, your experience? And, of course, I would always say, well, you know, like anybody else, you always see these unique uh, lights in the night sky. Potentially, even during the daytime, you might see something that's a little bit anomalous and unexplainable. Uh, but, uh, gosh, ever since I think uh, about uh, 2012, it all opened up for me as far as an actual personal sighting of something that was quite unique. And if we've got time for uh, maybe a five minute, uh, you know, overview, I can give you that sighting report that I had. Sure. Why don't, why don't we do this when we come back from a commercial break that we have to take in about a minute from now. Oh, but, good. Uh, but right now, let our listeners know how they can find out more about the work that you and your UFOI team do. Wonderful. Yeah. We can all, you can always find us on uh, YouTube mm-hmm. uh, at UFOI team and, that's what we do is we spell that with a lowercase I in the middle of capital letters with UFO and team. So UFO I team on, um, on uh, YouTube and Facebook, we have a massive Facebook page with lots of video, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, of anomalous objects and various technical gear that we use out in the field. 
All right, stand by. You and I will be back on the other side of this short commercial break. And ExoNation, once again, my guest is Michael W. Hall. And as Michael was telling you, if you'd like to find out more information about Michael, who is known as the Paranormal Lawyer, and his UFOI team, visit their website at www.ufoiteam.com. This is the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network from our studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, it's very simple. The same email address for the past 30 years, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. We'll be back on the other side of this short break. Don't go away. Nation, my guest this hour is Michael Hall, and Michael is known as the Paranormal Lawyer. You can find out more about Michael and the work that he does along with his UFOI team at www.ufoiteam.com. Michael, before we went to the commercial break, uh, we were, you know, we were, you were going to tell us about an encounter or a sighting that you had, but we decided to hold it on to the other side of the break so that we wouldn't disturb you while you were telling our our audience about your experience. So please go ahead. Okay. Wonderful. Um, this was uh, January 10th of 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, I am coming home or actually I'm, I'm attending my, uh, my son's middle school parent meeting, middle right. of the winter, you know, January mm-hmm. out here in the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle area where I live. So everything is dark. Uh, I get to the meeting, uh, you know, about quarter to seven, uh, and sign in on the parent sign-in sheet like we normally do. Uh, and uh, the reason I uh, decided to make sure I did that and took a picture of the sign-in sheet was that at the time I was going through a, quite a involved divorce. Oh, it was gosh. kind of terrible. And, of course, you always have to prove that you're involved with your exactly. kids' lives yeah. and those kinds of things. So um, a meeting starts at 7 o'clock, goes an hour and a half, and uh, is over at about 8.30 and I fortunately, I live about four minutes away from the school. So I'm jumping in my car, driving home, get out in front of my house. And lo and behold, there was a beautiful full moon that night. Very clear. uh, No stars, no um, clouds, just a beautiful moon hovering over my house. Uh, And so I decided for some reason to take a picture of it with my iPhone 6S. And, of course, everybody knows that if you're taking a photo of the moon, it's not going to be very impressive. Mm-hmm. But I decided to do it anyway, and I took two photographs, uh, one second apart. Uh, I didn't think anything. I went, and go, went inside the house for the evening. In the morning at uh, my office, the first thing I do is plug my phone into my laptop uh, to keep it charged up during the day. And when I do that, it prompts me 
do I want to download uh, to the computer the new pictures that I took in the interim? And they always, you know, prompt you to do that. So sure. I do that and click it. <clears throat> when suddenly those two uh, photographs, or at least the first one, became much bigger on my laptop screen than on my uh, phone. And I noted on there that there was a strange red dot hovering above my house and below the moon. And I'm going, what the heck is that? Because I wouldn't recognize any streetlight that would match that or any anything in my neighborhood that would match that light. <clears throat> so I try to speed this up and make a long story short. I put it through some uh, enhancement app that I have called Aver Aviary, by the way. Really cool free app. You can throw your photos on there and uh, it will lighten it up or do whatever you need. And all of a sudden, uh, there seems to be a structure, a triangular structure hovering, I mean, in the uh, around this red dot. The dot seems to be in the middle of a kind of a, not an equilateral triangle. This would be an isosceles triangle, equal on both ends, but slimmer, almost like a lava lamp shape mm. uh, hovering below the moon and above my house. And uh, so now I'm really freaking out going, what the heck is this? So... I go to my camera roll real quick and I go, well, something's got to be wrong here, you know, and uh, I look at my camera roll and to my great surprise, all of a sudden I realized that uh, that uh, photo that I took of the sign in sheet for the parent meeting uh, the night before seems to be the last photograph on my camera roll, which it shouldn't have been because that was what I did first before I went home after mm -hmm. the meeting and then took these two pictures of the moon. So then I get real curious and I start figuring out that if I download this, uh, these photos to my laptop uh, and I right click on the images, there's a whole lot of metadata that you can see about your photographs. It will tell you what time of day they were taken, what direction uh, and GPS coordinates that your photographs are taken. Um, the long story short is that these photographs, the two photographs of the structure below the moon, seem to have been taken 17 hours earlier than I thought they were taking taken when I came home that night. I thought it was about 8.37 right. p.m. or so, mm -hmm. but the metadata on the thing says they were taken at 3.37 a.m., on the same day of January 10th, 2012. Now, here's the deal. I'm not doing anything at 3.37 in the morning. I, I have sleep apnea. I have a CPAP machine I sleep with. Uh, my, my phone is on the next to my bed stand all night long, and there's no way I would have been taking any photographs at that time, Right. as far as I know, let alone have this thing look like literally a some kind of a craft hovering below the moon. Uh, so anyway, that's my, my strange story. Uh, there's a whole lot of details and corroboration that go along with that because, as you know, I, I, I'm an attorney. I'm, I've got this left brain and right brain thing fighting each other, and I always <laughs> want to have analytical proof sure. of anything that I talk, talk about. I love stories. I love anecdotal stories of people citing reports, but um, I literally have some interesting, uh, you know, data to back up this claim uh, that I'm making. So I don't know what the heck happened yet, 
on that photograph, and I'm still, you know, looking into that. I've done at least one hypnosis regression that uh, said s some strange things were going on, but I'm still t still trying to figure it out. Tell us about uh, Grant Cameron's uh, The Admiral Wilson UFO Smoking Gun Memo. Oh, I tell you what, Rob, uh, this is, uh, I, I, I predict that in the future, after disclosure happens, after things really kind of, you know, become well known as mm -hmm. far as the general public of uh, the reality of, you know, the extraterrestrial presence on the planet. Right. That, that this memo is going to be thought of as the turning point in history on our planet. I, I can't, uh, I can't uh, say too much about this thing. Um, basically, on uh, January 2nd of last year, 2019, mm -hmm. I get an encrypted phone call from my client, Grant Cameron, one of the most famous ufologists of all time, um, and really been in this field for well over 40 years, uh, saying that he is about ready to drop a major UFO bomb, he tells me, in this encrypted text. And uh, he needs to run it by me as the paranormal lawyer. That's all he said. Very short and cryptic. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. If Grant Cameron says he's got something huge, it must be huge. So literally, um, he comes up and sends me this um, was well, a story that he got a hold of this document from a gentleman who got it from Dr. Edgar Mitchell's estate papers when Dr. Mitchell passed away. Um, because Dr. Mitchell was on the board of directors for NIDS, National Institute of Discovery Science, with uh, Robert Bigelow, of course, and uh, Kit Green, um, you know, Eric Davis, uh, the scientist, Russell Targ, all these guys that have been involved in ufology forever. Mm -hmm. This memo purports to be, and I literally had it for six months before it was uh, released to the public. So I got a chance to vet this thing page by page, 15 pages of single space type, by the way. Um, it is so jam packed full of uh, revelations and names and programs and everything that is amazing uh, that is even out there. But it purports to be a conversation between Eric Davis, Dr. Eric Davis, a high-ranking government uh, scientist, interviewing Admiral Thomas Ray Wilson, who at the time was the J-2, Joint Chiefs of Staff, second-in-command, who, by the way, was in charge of all the military branches' intelligence departments. You're talking Army, Navy, uh, Marines, you know, Air Force, everybody. Uh, and... This interview is basically Eric Davis asking him about an incident that happened to the Admiral in 1997. The interview took place in 2002 uh, with Eric Davis, but he's asking him about this uh, thing that happened to him in 1997 where he was initially briefed by um, Dr. Er uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Stephen Greer and Edgar Mitchell. Uh, and a couple of other uh, uh, naval officers who were in the know and wanted the admiral to to realize there are some black projects going on that he had nothing uh, that he did not know about. He probably should know about. So come to find out, the admiral makes a few phone calls thinking that it was just going to be, you know, a joke and finds out that there is organizations out there, 
independent uh, subcontractors for the military that are civilian uh, with no government oversight, no congressional oversight, no military oversight that literally are back engineering UFO technology. Uh, it's a it's a long story and a little bit more uh, detail I probably could give you uh, if you're interested. But in reality, this memo says I'll just cut to the chase here. Okay. That the Roswell, New Mexico crash happened. That the uh, alien bodies, both dead and alive, were recovered in that incident. That uh, the uh, that they have been working on back engineering alien technology from this era, 1947, for decades, and are still kind of stuck in getting all the stuff they want out of this. But there is a portion of the memo that says they have a working craft that can travel through interstellar space in our atmosphere. Well, listen, we've got to take a fast commercial break. Don't go away. We'll be right back with our guest, Michael Hall. Michael Hall is our guest, Exonation. We're talking uh, to Michael this segment about the Admiral Wilson UFO smoking gun memo that was uh, given to Michael to look at by Grant Cameron, who is the author of Red Star Charlie and other UFO books. If you'd like more information, first of all, on Michael and his group, the UFOI team, www.ufoiteam.com. Michael, continue this very fascinating story. Okay, thank you for that. Um, I'll tell you what, this memo mm -hmm. is so action-packed. Uh, I literally was uh, uh, breaking out in a sweat when I was reading this for the very first time. Grant Cameron told me that he, he went ashen when he first saw it because he knows these names that are listed in this document, and he knows the programs that are, are also mentioned as well. Mm -hmm. But I was uh, kind of recapping what the uh, document actually says. Uh, it basically says that uh, they are in possession, the military now is in possession of a working craft that's interstellar in uh, capability, mm -hmm. and also travels through our atmosphere. It can travel underwater as well, right. and, get, and get this, through dimensions is what it mentions in this document. Um, Admiral Wilson was told by this subcontractor, this civilian subcontractor working for the military, that these craft are not of this world, not made by human hands. Uh, Richard Dolan can verify that he saw that language on a two-page document that was a portion of this 15 pages that he saw about seven years ago before this document was released. He was shown a portion of it, and he remembers that language, not of this world, not made by human hands. Um, so there you go. I, I, I don't know, and a lot of people will in ufology will say, well, so what? We, we know that their life exists and, you know, extraterrestrials are visiting the planet. 
But guess what? This is yeah. my thing that I need to drive home to folks. This is the very first time we have ever gotten any high-level confirmation of the things that we've always wondered about. Let me ask you uh, this. Let me ask you this. How do we know that this memo is legitimate, number one? And number two, it sounds an awful lot like the MJ-12 papers. Well, it does, except for this. This is very interesting. And uh, uh, when uh, I sent this document initially uh, to Richard Dolan, mm -hmm. uh, and he uh, vetted the thing as well and kind of did a really good uh, analysis of it uh, when it first came out publicly, on uh, around June 27th of, of last year, um, he pointed out what I mentioned as well, is that if you were going to create a hoaxed document mm -hmm. uh, like MJ-12 maybe, or you know some kind of a memo that you could uh, muddy the waters with, sure. you sure wouldn't pick one that's like 15 pages long, mm -hmm. single spaced. I, I don't know about that. And uh, adding so many people that are still alive. But have these people confirmed that the information within this memo is is true? And have they signed affidavits to the validity of this? No, this memo? no way. So Matter how? Fact, okay, so been, so let me ask you this uh, as a counselor. Let, let me ask you this uh, uh, as a lawyer. Yeah. How can you take it for real? Well, I don't. And of course, I've lived with this document for mm -hmm. well over a year now and uh, tried to vet as much as possible. So what I did is I went through it line by line, mm -hmm. person by person that was mentioned, uh, trying to find out things that were like, uh, you know, didn't match up. Uh, you know, are these people real people? Um, were they who they said they were in this memo at the time this memo was created? Do they, did, were they in charge of this certain program? you know, in the military, that kind of thing. All those things checked out. But was the information in the memo as to who these people were, what their position was at the time, was this public knowledge? Could somebody find out this information on the Internet? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there were certain, you know, people in uh, uh, special access programs mm -hmm. that you would know uh, would be, you know, certain um, uh, programs that uh, they were running for yeah. sure. Uh, but uh, Grant Cameron points out as well is that there, there's a couple of people in there that uh, most of general public would not even connect with UFOs or ufology. Uh, but uh, somebody in there. But somebody who's into the UFO community and has knowledge that the John Q. Public would not have would be able to put all this together. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So it is a you know it's a conundrum for sure. sure. Um. You also investigate other things. I was I was interested to see besides UFOs. You you and your I team also investigate Bigfoot and ghosts and other aspects of the paranormal. Yeah, yeah, we have uh, you know a good 15, 20, 20 people in our group that are of course uh, uh, have different expertise and uh, interests in the paranormal. Uh, we've got. Uh, a couple hypnotherapists. Right. Uh, one of them is certified through the Dolores Cannon's uh, School of uh, you know investigation. Uh, we've got uh, some psychics. We've got uh, uh, some people that are heavily into the Bigfoot thing. Matter of fact, uh, one of our good friends out here in the Pacific Northwest is Ron Moorhead, who was famous for the uh, recording of the Sierra Sounds uh, Bigfoot uh, recordings. Uh, so we typically will you know, go to a location, for instance, like Mount Adams, 
down in South Central Washington State. And we'll do a double duty thing where we'll do our sky watches for UFOs right. with our, our technical equipment and, and uh, gear. And we'll also do the uh, the, the Sasquatch, uh, you know, kind of investigation as well. Seem They seem to, as a matter of fact, uh, Ron Moorhead says, they seem to have uh, some kind of connection between the two. So we're interested in finding out about that as well. What kind of evidence have you and your team uh, been able to collect to prove that Sasquatch is real? <clears throat> well, you know, like anybody else, you've got the uh, the foot casts, mm-hmm. uh, footprint uh, casts that are just very unique. Uh, you know, Dr. Meldrum is the guy that kind of gets into the real details of analyzing the footprints, you know, for um, uh, mid-tarsal breaks and uh, those... Uh, Ridges that uh, you know are kind of like fingerprints on mm-hmm. uh, on these toe uh, toe prints and those kinds of things, where um, that's that's probably as close as you can get. And then of course you've got uh, uh, Melba um, Ketchum who who has been doing the research for the DNA of this uh, creature that seems to be a hybrid of some kind. Uh, the mitochondrial DNA seems to be of a woman. But the uh, the nuclear DNA seems to be something else that's not human. So, you know, there's just a lot of questions. Uh, there's, of course, the anecdotal evidence of people, you know, seeing these things. And there's also a fuzzy video. But, uh, yeah. you know, there's enough of that out there you run across when you're in the field with pretty credible folks, including law enforcement personnel, you know, that would be telling you that uh, there's something to this. What kind of equipment do you use when you and your UFOI team go out to uh, Skywatch? Well, thanks for asking, because I tell you what, I think we are on the cutting edge of that whole idea of recording uh, video data uh, and uh, different kinds of scientific data as far as proving anomalous objects and uh, showing what they what we have up on our Facebook page at uh, and YouTube pages at UFOI team. We try to share all of that. We have uh, uh, night vision uh, cameras. We have FLIR photography. We have stop action photography. We have um, we have a gentleman. Uh, we have two real technical guys on our team. One of them is named Lee Strauss. He's our mountain man camera guy that will schlep a whole uh, group <laughs> of cameras up to uh, you know fifteen thousand feet and set up there all night long. And then we've got Dave Mason also, who is a real uh, technical guy, has his own uh, electronics company out here in the Pacific Northwest, who has invented a pair of binoculars that literally will take the uh, light signatures from a star, from a shooting star or uh, the ISS uh, station or even a a, a, a commercial airliner, turn them into uh, audio turn it into sound, light into sound. Mm-hmm. And so what we'll do is run that sound through an oscilloscope analyzer. And basically we, we can pinpoint, well, this is, this is a commercial airliner. This is a satellite. You know, we can, we can pinpoint what these things are uh, through the sound and light frequency. But here's the, here's the kicker. You're going to love this. We have the capability now of taking that sound signature that's anomalous mm-hmm turning it back into light and sending it out in a diffused laser directly back to the object that's uh, emitting it. 
So what we're hoping is that we're going to set up a CE5 scenario where we are literally initiating potential contact with uh, anomalous objects uh, in the night sky. Is there any chance that by sending back a laser beam to something that could very well be a UFO could be misinterpreted as a hostile action? Well, we've thought of that, of course. Um, we're thinking... Exonation. Michael Hall is our special guest. His website is ufoiteam.com. And first of all, Michael, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure. We'll have to have you back on again because I'm sure you've got plenty more stories that you can share with our listeners. Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. All right. Listen, um, why do you think that disclosure hasn't happened yet? Well, um, Obviously, there's been some trepidation ever since probably the 40s mm -hmm. uh, when uh, the major wave seems to have hit our country uh, that uh, they didn't know what these things were, so they had to keep it secret. But I'll tell you what, Rob, um, uh, as you can probably tell, uh, in the mainstream media now, there has been seemingly a green light given to the idea of red-pilling the public on UFOs. Uh, ever since the New York Times article mm -hmm. coming out in December of 2017, it's been like gangbusters, you know, with the new television shows on yeah. the History Channel, you know, uh, Discovery Channel, um, the um, the Navy coming out with new guidelines for their employees and uh, personnel to report UFOs. The the Nimitz UFO encounter is now all over the news, and it but happened in 2004. So why now are they bringing it out, you know, into the general public? So I think that there's probably a concerted effort now to really get something going as far as bringing people up to speed about UFOs and the presence of uh, of them in our in our atmosphere. But it, but where's the evidence? Where is the smoking gun? If we have so many people watching the sky, so many ufologists out there each and every night, and all the research that's gone on. And yet, there is no smoking gun. Well, you know, it, it's one of those kinds of things that um, uh, if indeed uh, the, the U.S. Navy, uh, who just recently came out a few weeks ago and says, yeah, we've got more material mm -hmm. on this Tic Tac UFO uh, that we can't release to you. Uh, matter of fact, they had the Tic Tac uh, footage of these UFOs in 2004, and they didn't release it. So, you know, there is smoking gun memos all over the place out there, I believe, yeah. uh, that have just never hit the public. And they, they won't do that until they want to. This almost sounds like a PR game that somebody's playing. 
You got it. You know, it, it's something does it is something just doesn't seem right about the the entire thing. We know, for example, that the military has been working with hyperspace vehicles for years now. I remember when the Aurora was first discovered, people thought that it was a UFO. I remember the the Pegasus launches that NASA was doing off of the uh, off the coast of Florida in yeah. the Gulf. People thought they were UFO, and it caused a big thing. Yes, when the X-Files came out, my goodness, the UFO sightings soared. And with all the hype and hoopla that that is being done with uh, TTSA, you know, once again, we're seeing a spike. But where is the proof? Well, I'll tell you what. If, if anyone told me in uh, the beginning of last year, mm-hmm. 2019, that uh, these things would be coming out, uh, you know, in the mainstream media on Fox News. You know, the government uh, is talking about a space force and all that kind of stuff going on. I would have uh, been agog at that point that that stuff would be happening so quickly this last year. So I just have the feeling uh, that we're poised on something big that's going to be coming down the road in 2020 uh, because of all the productions that I know that are in the works for, uh, for instance, uh, Unidentified, the television series, the second season, and those kinds of things that are coming down the road. Well, the only reason they're coming down the road is because there are people out there who want to watch it. And they have to be sensationalized or other people won't watch it. You know, you know as well as I do, because you took journalism and broadcasting, that the media is an entertainment venue. Reality is very rare when it comes to the media. And if it don't bleed, it don't lead. And the media, the media is driven by dollars that they can get from advertisers. So right. with all the interest, with all the interest in UFOs, ghost hauntings, things that go bump in the night, sure they'll continue until the until it is the market is so saturated that it will fizzle out. So with everything that is going on, I think that the media is doing more harm than good by putting so much programming on, that is sheer speculation. Because nowhere, not one of these shows, and even with the reporting of the Tic Tac, can anybody say without any hesitation, based on fact and proof, that these are real UFOs from other planets. No, you're right there. But um, one example of uh, the switch in um, attitude seems mm-hmm. to be uh, Dr. Michio Kaku. Yeah. Uh, this last summer just came out with this revolutionary statement uh, for him and for any other scientist that now the preponderance of the evidence is that UFOs exist. And now it is up to the military and or the government to prove otherwise that they do not exist. He believes the preponderance of the evidence shows now, scientifically, mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, you know the flight characteristics and everything of yeah. these uh, you know military things that they've cited that uh, these things are real. So um, you wonder why they're coming out now with all of these these shows and why they did didn't they do that a decade ago? For some reason, something's coming down the road soon. I think. You want my opinion? Sure. It's because digital effects are a lot easier to create now than they were a decade ago. Well, that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, but I tell you what, coming from 80,000 feet 
down to the surface of the ocean in 0.78 seconds, less than one second, is hypersonic speeds that no one can duplicate, not even with CGI. All right, let me ask you, let me ask you this. If this Tic Tac was, in fact, from another planet, how come it wasn't picked up by picked up by the uh, the the radar systems that scour the uh, outer space rims of planet Earth? The defense yeah. system. How come nobody picked it up? You know, that's a good question. The only thing that I can think of is mm-hmm. that uh, the Spy One radar system that was on the Nimitz, or actually was on the Princeton, which is in the Nimitz, uh, you know, carry group yeah. at the time, was brand new. It just rolled out. Something new that they'd never had before. And that's when they started uh, picking up these flights of five and ten of these tic-tac-shaped uh, objects coming from Catalina Island area right. down south into Mexico. Mm-hmm. It's very possible we just didn't have the technical ability because even in the uh, FA-18 jets, they couldn't lock onto these things. They didn't show up on the radar of the jets that were in the vicinity when right. they were even chasing them. But is it also possible that these Tic Tacs are terrestrial craft, experimental craft, deliberately given instructions to see if the aircraft carrier group uh, that included the Nimitz could actually pick them up and how yeah. the pilots would react? Well, I think that's a slim possibility. I've always thought of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, the experts that uh, are talking about this uh, say that uh, if it is, it is technology that is well beyond anything that we could possibly think of uh, with the idea of this uh, hypersonic speeds. They can uh, change directions instantly without, uh, you know, any inertia problems, those kinds of things. So anybody that's uh, looked at the uh, flight characteristics say that uh, there's nothing on Earth that we know of anyway that can do that. I think the the key in that entire sentence is that we know of, because I'm sure that we're not privy to even 50% of what the military is up to. Yeah, I agree with you there, for sure. All right, listen, the time is coming very shortly when you and I must say so long, but let our listeners know once again how they can find out more about you, how they can find out more about your UFOI team, and um, hopefully that they'll be able to meet up with you in person one day. Oh, I'd love to have them do that. And they can always follow us on Facebook as well. Uh, We have periodic uh, meetings on there that anybody can join. But it's UFO iTeam on Facebook and on YouTube. And they can just Google us at UFOiTeam.com. So what do you and your team uh, have planned uh, for the very near future? And we've got about a minute left. Well, one of the things we're going to do is go back out with the uh, Nimitz UFO um, uh, uh, veterans, we're going to go do another expedition to uh-huh. Catalina Island to search for those Tic Tac UFOs. So if I find something new out there, uh, some new data, we'll definitely share it with you and your okay. your audience. I'm looking forward to that. All right. Once again, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, keep up the great work, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. And I look forward to the next time you and I meet, both meet back here in the Exo. Thank you, Rob. All right, Exonation, once again, my guest at this hour has been Michael Hall. And if you'd like to find out more about Michael, visit uh, his website. He is the founder of UFOI Team, and their website is ufoiteam.com. 
Now, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as the Exxon continues right here from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to send me an email, it's very simple, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV. To find out what, who, what, when, and where, and why is playing on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. And, of course, on Simul TV is the only place that you can find the Exxon TV channel at www.simultv.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. Whatever you do, don't go away. <laughs> <laughs> 